Mm. Mm. Got to get in preaching mode now. Get out of singing mode. Mercy. Take your Bibles, please, and go into the Old Testament. I want you to find 1 Samuel chapter 5. And welcome back into the series that uh, we're calling, Is Your God Too Small? And we found, both in the Bible and in our modern lives, that there are times that we have bowed down to diminished examples of the true and the living God, imitations. And we've been challenged in this series to get a grasp of the bigness, the powerfulness, the immensity of our God, and that is who we live with every day, that who has taken up residence in our lives. We looked at the woman at the well and how her God was too small, located to just a, a, a what and a how of worship rather than the who and the why. And then we looked at Saul and the armies of Israel standing against the Philistines and how their God was too small. But David came along and with an idea of a, of a big and a mighty God, the, uh, the enemy had already been defeated, just needed someone to step up and walk in that victory. Last week we looked at a tiny little idol that was 90 feet tall and made out of gold. And how those who refused to bow down to it defeated the king, and all of the efforts to destroy worship of the Lord God. Today, we're going to be looking at another one of those passages that have to do with idols. But it, in a way that is very, very unique. I just, I just love what the Lord has done in the Scriptures right here. And how uh, all of this has come together. Let me give you a little background. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, uh, we have uh, an op, uh, a situation where Israel goes out into battle against the Philistines. However, they have not consulted God first. But they wanted to have God to go with them. They wanted to have some magic talisman with them that would assure their success. So they took the Ark of God. Now, now the Ark was a chest, a gold overlaid chest. Inside that was the Ten Commandments, uh, Aaron's rod that budded, some other things like that. But what was important was right on the top of the chest, made out of gold, where the two cherubim bowed down in worship, right there was the mercy seat. And here is where the priest would come and would bring blood and would atone for the sins of the people. So without consulting God, uh, some wicked priests decided, well, we'll just take the ark out into battle with us, and that will ensure our victory over the Philistines. Well, that didn't happen. As a matter of fact, Israel was utterly defeated, and horror of horrors, the ark was captured and taken into Philistia. Now, that's where we pick up our reading today. In 1 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 1, then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon, that was their god, Dagon, and set it before Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its place again. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just ask you again to come and hover so near to us today. You have so much you want us to experience in you today. Because Lord, even though we live in the day of the iPad and the iPhone, we still have idols. And we still bow before them. And we still give them your rightful place in our lives. 
And it's because we have such a small concept of God that it can be focused in such a, a tiny thing when you are so incredibly massive. You are El Elyon. You are El Shaddai. You are Lord God Almighty. And you will not be confined to an ark. You'll not be confined to an idol. You'll not be confined to a temple. You'll not be confined to a church. You're God of universes. The star breather. You spoke and life came to be. Let us focus that this is the God we serve. And in His great name we pray. Amen. I want you to look first of all in these first three verses at how God's hand was upon Dagon. And how He humbled Dagon. That's in your notes. How the hand of God humbled Dagon. A little history about this, this idol Dagon. Uh, he, in the Bible he is only associated with the Philistines. And we have a couple of, of uh, reliefs or images of the, uh, those idols. Uh, one of them has him as a fertility god, which was numerous among the Canaanites. The other one had him shaped like a merman. He had a fish tail, yet he had a torso and hands and, and head of, of a man. And uh, this is after a tradition that he was the god of those who made their living on the sea. Well, we don't know which of those were true and which this particular image looked like. But he... he this is not the first time we see him in our Bibles. Uh, earlier in Judges, we see uh, this God make an appearance. When uh, Samson, after he had his hair cut, uh, he was defeated by the Philistines, remember? And he was uh, made to grind their, uh, their grain. And then to humiliate him, they brought him into the temple of Dagon. And there they chained him to the pillars. And they were making fun of him. And that's when Samson prayed to God, says, if you will give me strength one more time to, uh, to wreak havoc on my enemies and the enemies of my people. And that's why I gave him, God gave him back that supernatural strength. He pushed against the pillars, and the temple of Dagon fell. And all of those inside were destroyed at the time. So by the time th th that happened, now the time where we are now here in 1 Samuel, there's been several years have taken place, and it seems like the Philistines have forgotten the God that they were up against before. So, here in chapter 5, uh, we, we have to ask the question, why did they bring the ark? Because it's made out of gold. Why did they bring it and set it in the temple of Dagon? Well, here's a little more background information. When uh, an ancient people like this went into battle, uh, they took their gods with them. And if they won in the battle, it was the victory of their god. If they lost in the battle, it was the victory uh, or the defeat of their God. And so uh, always they would take their, not the, the big idols, but the smaller idols would take them into uh, battle with them. Well, that's exactly what the priests of the Lord God did. They, they brought their idols. See, the ark had become an idol for them. Rather than worship the God who had told them to make the ark, and having it, the things that were, would remind them always of his presence. They had turned the ark itself into an idol, and so rather than consulting the Lord God and asking his blessings on the Bible, what did he, uh, on the battle, what did they do? They took the ark as if that was their idol into the battle with them. And this is why God allowed this to happen, because it was the Israelites 
who were actually practicing idolatry with the things of Almighty God. Now, that, I want you to pause there for a moment. Because is it possible for you and I to practice idolatry with the things of our Almighty God even today? We're going to get into that a little later. But I want you to see this first and foremost. Well, you see, the next morning when they came in to do their regular uh, time of worship to Dagon, this, uh, the, the, the idol, the statue of Dagon, had fallen on its face and had fallen right before the ark of God. Now, it's not just a matter of it having fallen down. It had fallen on its face. And not just on its face, but on its face before the ark of God. This was a position of submission. So, a position of, of being absolutely paying deference to the Lord God. And, and so immediately they couldn't abide this, so they, they helped they stood the idol back up. So first of all, the hand of God humbled Dagon. Let's keep reading, and we see how the hand of God defeated Dagon. When they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon falling his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were broken off and on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. And therefore neither the priests of Dagon nor any who come to Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashgod on that day. They set Dagon back up. They did their worship. They went back and they slept another night. The next day they came up. Same thing again. Only this time it wasn't just an accident that maybe they just tilted over and fallen. The head and the hands were broken off of the idol. And not just broken off. They were lined up at the threshold of the door to where the priests of Dagon had to step over the head and the hands of their idol in order to get inside their temple. So rather than the first time he just humbled Dagon, when they kept him in that, kept the Lord's ark inside that temple, then he utterly defeated Dagon. Even to this day, one of the most humiliating means of execution and means of, of showing absolute dominance is decapitation. And we've seen that gross, I'm afraid, uh, in the news so much on these days, in areas of the Middle East even now. But see, he was decapitated, but not only decapitated, showing absolute defeat, he had his hands cut off as well, and then laying at the threshold of the door, showing absolute total dominance before the Lord God. Now, it doesn't end here. God's hand humbled Dagon, defeated Dagon, and then God's hand afflicted the Philistine. Let's continue to read. But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod. And he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and all its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, The ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh towards us and Dagon our God. Well, the story goes on that they decided we need to remove this ark, and so they decided to take it over to Gath. Gath was very important. Gath was where Goliath came from, okay? And all his family was over there. They took it to Gath. Same thing happened over there. People started dying, stricken with tumors. 
And then the people of Gath says, well, it's not going to stay here. Let's send it over to Ekron, another one of their cities. So they sent it to Ekron. Same thing happened. Uh, tumors breaking out of the people. People dying left and right. And they said, we've got to get this ark back where it belongs, back to the people of Israel. Now I want to draw a line right there because I want us to ask the question, what are we supposed to make out of this story? What are we supposed to gather out of this whole episode that happened? Paul writes in Romans chapter 15, he says, For whatever was written in the former days, that's what we're talking about right here, whatever was written in the former days was for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. There are two thoughts I want to leave you with that flow out of this and that speak really tight into my heart and maybe into yours as well. First of all is the absolute supremacy of the Lord God. That's in your notes. The absolute supremacy of the Lord God. If chapter 5 doesn't say anything else, it teaches that the Lord God is supreme above all gods. When Dagon was fallen face forward in submission and the second time utterly destroyed, utterly destroyed before God. If the Philistines had had any sense at this point, they would have taken their little heathen feet and run that ark back as fast as they could to the territory of Israel. But they couldn't do that because they had to take care of their fallen idol. Here's what happens so many times. God will come into my life and yours and He'll topple one of my idols. And rather than me rushing to the Lord God for forgiveness, I spend my time trying to set up my idol again and try to take care of that which I'm worshiping in the place of Almighty God. And then God is going to have to absolutely destroy that idol. To where will I put my full trust into Him? He is absolutely supreme. Now, I want you to see the little God concept here for a moment. Israel's priests worshipped a little God. Their God was small enough it would fit into a box. Okay? It might have been a gold box, and it might have had the Ten Commandments and other things like that in it. But their God could fit into a box. What is it that God said? God said, you, I am the Lord, sovereign God of the universe. You're going to build a temple for me? Heaven is my throne, the earth is just my footstool, and you're going to build a temple for me, and then you think you're going to put me in a box? And yet how often we try to put God in our box. God, here's how you're supposed to work with me. Here, if, if you're really God and you really want me to worship you, here's how you need to answer my prayers. And here's how you need to bless me. And we try to stuff the almighty King of kings and Lord of lords into our tiny little idol box. God won't abide that. He never has. He never will. And so, the priests of Israel thought their God was the box and took the ark into battle, and God in His supremacy let it happen. Let the ark get defeated. Let Israel be defeated and the ark captured. 
Why would he do something like that? Because the Philistines did not defeat him. He was in no way defeated by that skirmish between his ancient people and the Philistines. But what he was trying to do was wake his own people up to the fact, I'm not in the box. And I am not removed from you because the box removed from you. I am still sovereign Lord. But let's jump to the Philistines for a minute. Their God was too small. Their God was too small, even though he was a big idol and probably very well made and very, very uh, well clad. Maybe he was made of gold as well. Their God had a balance problem. He couldn't sit upright, especially in the presence of Almighty God. And him toppling over that sh uh, twice should have clued the Philistines that their God was too small. But we know by history they in no way questioned or abandoned the worship of Dagon. It continued even long after this. And later when Saul is killed, do you remember what is done with his armor and his, his, his body? Hung on the wall of Dagon's temple. They didn't learn anything from this. Nothing in the least. But here's what I want you to know, my friends. The Lord God has no rival. He has no enemy. He has no equal. The world in which we live has got this Middle Eastern idea of the yin and the yang, the God of good and the God of evil, and somehow they're, they're, they're equally empowered, and sometimes one wins and sometimes the others win. That's not biblical theology, my friends. The Bible says God has no equal. There is no God who can come near to His supremacy and His power and His ability to bless or curse. And he is not confined to any of our little boxes. Now this should be great encouragement to us. We should read this passage, as Paul wrote in Romans 15, we should read this passage, we should be encouraged that, that the God we serve is in no way limited, in no way scrunched into a tiny, even a tiny, denomination. Did you know God won't fit inside the Southern Baptist Convention? That may come as a real shock to some of you. I think he's most at home there, but he won't fit there, okay? <laughs> got to show my bias, all right? We've got to be careful trying to put God in a box. So, that's the first thing I want you to see. Here's the second thought I want you to walk away with is this. Modern idolatry brings modern pain. Modern idolatry brings modern pain. Let's look at the Philistines. First, the Lord humbled Dagon, then he defeated Dagon, and then he afflicted the Philistines themselves. As you read on in the Scriptures, the, the people of Ashdod broke out in tumors. We don't know a lot about what those tumors might have been or what they would have looked like. But when we read in chapter 6, as they're reflecting back on what happened, they talk a lot about rats and, 
And it could very well be that this was an early episode of the bubonic plague because that's one of the ways that it would manifest itself. So we don't know for absolutely sure, but they were stricken with tumors and these tumors was causing them to die left and right, left and right. And so the people there, uh, <clears throat> the people uh, of Ashdod said, hey, we've we, we, we got to get relief from this. So they sent uh, the ark over to Gath. Well, the same thing happened there in Gath, having tumors, they're dying left and right. Ship it out to Ekron, same thing. Where idol worship abounds, God is going to allow pain to happen. Now that may sound harsh, but it's God's way of bringing people into His presence. The Philistines refused. All they wanted to do was get rid of the symptoms, get, get, get rid of the ark, get the ark out of here, maybe we'll be all right. Listen, when I focus on an idol in my life and I refuse to give it up, even after God has toppled it over, and even if God destroys it, God will allow pain to come into my life. Because if I, if I can't see the idol falling apart in front of me and change my mind and change my heart, if I don't realize that idol is too small a God for me to put all of my hope and my dreams in and turn back to the Lord God, what's your idol going to do? He's going to allow the destruction of that idol to bring pain into my life. And He's probably doing it in your life even now. Years ago when the boys were young, Valeria and I lived in a neighborhood and just right down around the curve and up the other side from us, Brand new home was being built. Ooh, it was nice, nice, beautiful, beautiful new home. And we met the people that moved in there. It was a young couple. Just, just husband and wife, newly married. Hadn't been there very long. Big, big, beautiful home. Uh, furnished. Everything you could imagine inside. Both driving beautiful, brand new automobiles. And, you know, Valeria and I, Maybe they're independently wealthy. I don't know. Uh, but how can they possibly afford that? And then as we found out more about them, they came from a very uh, humble parents. They were not very, very well off. But they thought that they had to have all the things that their mom and dad had that they had worked decades for and more. They deserved the best of everything. That's what the people that offered them credit would tell them. You know, it wasn't long before that family started to have some serious problems. And, and their arguments and the division within the family all was because they were overextended financially. You know how it is that finances can be a breeding ground for things for us to fight about, right? And this, this family went through some serious, serious times. They lost the home. Uh, I, I, we don't know where they moved to after that. I, I hope that they were able to stay together and things survived. But they were bowing down at an altar of stuff. That they had to have all this stuff in order to be happy. And it didn't matter how much it put them in debt. They just they had to have this stuff 
in order to be happy. And what they found out, as you bow before that idol, it's not long before the pain begins. And this pain nearly ruined their relationship and their marriage. Are you tracking with me yet? When you and I bow to modern idols, pain inevitably is going to happen. He'll first come after the idol. But then if he has to, he'll come after the idolater. That's the reality. Let, let, me, let me read to you something right out of our New Testament. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Write that verse down. Colossians 3, 5. Paul is writing, he said, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Did you get that? And covetousness, which is idolatry. What is covetousness? That's having an inordinate desire to have more than you can afford. It's the desire to acquire that will not be satisfied. If ever there was an idol that afflicts modern America, that's it. One of the things with the market correction and the recession and all of those things that have happened is credit's not as easy to come by as it used to be. And, and, and I thank God for that. That has caused some people to stop and think yet again. Anything that you go to, for comfort, or security, or identity, other than the Lord God, can become your idol. And it can happen before you know it. And it's usually good things. Or things that are not really bad or, or, or good innately. But what we do with them. All of the modern idols have one common core. Are you ready? Self. The idol we bow down to in America the most is the idol of self. The God of self. I want what I want and I want it now. It's interesting, that's actually the lyrics of a song. Okay? And that should tell you something about the world in which you and I find ourselves even today. Listen to the Holy Spirit as He speaks through John in 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of this world. If we're to escape modern idolatry, we've got to admit that it is the great lie. Coveting something that is not ours. That's the, that was the package lie that Satan put before Mama Eve and Papa Adam to encourage them to want to be equal with God. How'd that turn out? You and I are still reaping the results of that 
even today. That same lie. And if you, you know, if you watch the commercials, if you read uh, the advertisements, it, what's it say every time? You deserve this. Has nothing to say with can you afford this. But you deserve, this is your right as an American to be head over heels in debt and a slave and feel the pain that comes along with it. You know, it's not without surprise or with surprise that Jesus made it abundantly clear, the Scriptures make it abundantly clear that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Having it even being incredibly wealthy is not a bad thing, not in and of itself, but do, do I love that? Do I trust my money to meet my needs more than I trust God? Am I drawing a sense of stability and security from my investments, my job, or am I focusing that on God? Your retirement, your job, can become an idol if you let it. Nice things, things that money can buy. There's nothing wrong with nice things. I like nice things. We all like nice things. It's not about that. But do I love my stuff more than I love my God? Do I spend more time enjoying my stuff than I spend enjoying the Lord God? You know, if, that's, if that happens, you know what God can do? He can say, I can just flick that stuff away. Now what are you going to do? Now what are you going to do? And when he does that, flips it away. Oh, the pain! The pain! The pain! My thing is gone! Okay? You think we don't get attached to our stuff? Yeah, we get attached to our stuff. Having nice things is not an issue. What place do they have before God? That's the issue. Our careers. There's nothing wrong with, with being the best in your field. There's nothing wrong with, with climbing that corporate ladder and doing all you can to be the very best you can, provide for your family, make a name for yourself. That, there's nothing wrong with that. But that can become your God. That can become exactly what you pour out your life to, and you, you leave your family behind. You leave church behind. You leave your testimony behind. See? And suddenly, it's moved into the place of God. Our personal identity, how we identify ourselves, how we, how we think about ourselves, many times that can very easily become an idol. Our weight and our appearance. You know, we need to treat our bodies well. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit who abides within me. I need to treat my body well. I need to, I need to eat well. I need to exercise and so on and so forth. And my wife has committed her life to that, okay? Uh, because I wasn't doing enough of it on my own. <laughs> but we can make a God out of that. 
You know, it can be out our special diets, our fit classes, our Fitbit readings, number on the scale. These things can consume us. They can consume us. And how we look. How, how our, 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 our hair looks. How our, our makeup is on. What if we got our shirt tucked in? I'm sucking that gut in good and tight. Tell me, Derek, if I let it go out. Okay, keep it good and tight. Those things aren't bad. But they can consume us. And it can become our identity. Our identity is who we are in Christ. That's our identity. Not in how we look, what the scale says, or whatever. Our hobbies can just consume us. God wants us to have hobbies. He wants us to have things that we, that we enjoy doing. Especially if we can involve Him in it or if we can and involve others in a way to encourage them in, our, in sharing the gospel and all with them. He, he likes all of that. None of those activities are bad. But do I look forward more to my golf game than I do to being with my brothers and sisters in Christ? I need to ask myself some questions. Our relationships. Our relationships, whether it's your spouse, somebody hope that will be your spouse, whoever it may be, when you set them up as the all in all in your life, you're setting up an idol for yourself and you're setting them up for failure. Let me say that again. You're setting an idol up for yourself and you're setting them up for failure. Why are you setting them up for failure? Because they will never be able to provide for you what the Lord God provides. Never. And so you're setting them up to fail. And you're setting yourself up in putting your hopes and your dreams and your, your aspirations and your future in, in the hands of another person rather than the hands of Almighty God. Now, now, now marriage is great. God come up with the idea, all right? I'm not saying... What I'm saying is we can make relationships our idols. You know where I see it so many times? with our children and grandchildren. Oh, how we love our children and grandchildren. And we should. And we should. But I have seen so many times where we have absolutely spun our lives around these children to the exclusion of things God would have us to do. And, you know, be gone for Sundays on end because we're chasing some trophy. Putting every spare bit of income we have into behind the training for our young athlete because they're going to go on to college and they're going to be a professional one day. Right. Do you have any idea how the odds are stacked against you on that? Even the scholarship, let alone making a living out of that. All right? It is so easy for our identity to become so consumed with those little ones that we forget our identity in Christ. And we're trying to provide so much for them that we forget that we're supposed to be training them to turn to God and to depend on God and rely on God. You see? Here's the question. 
whether I know I'm worshiping an idol or not. When things begin to get bad in my life, am I going to go to the phone with my problems or am I going to go to the throne with my problems? If I'm going to the phone and I'm calling you or my wife or my sons or whoever, I'm setting you up in a place you don't belong. One of the things we as ministers do over and over again, we provide counsel, we provide encouragement, we provide empathy, but our desire is, are we focusing these folks back on God? That's the issue. Let me leave you with a few questions, and then I'm going to sum up and we're done. Do I love or treasure anything or anyone more than I love and treasure my relationship with God? Do I prioritize anything or anyone before my relationship with God? Does anything bring me more pleasure than the things that bring God pleasure? Do I place my identity in anything other than my status before God? Do I look to anything or anyone to meet my need other than God? Do I seek fulfillment or satisfaction from anything beyond my God? Do I seek comfort anywhere except in God and those God has given me specifically for comfort? You see, when you ask those questions, you can begin to identify if there are idols in our lives. You know what got the children of God in trouble over and over and over and over and over and over again? They went after the idols of the world. They were not satisfied with God being their king. They said, oh, we want to be like the other nations. We want to have a, a human being. We want to, want to have a live king. So give us a king. God eventually gave them a king. Boy, that didn't work out so good, did it? No. And over and over he sent prophets and said, look, don't go after the idols of the Philistines. Don't go after the idols of the Hittites. Don't go after the idols of the Amorites. Over and over again, what did the children of Israel do? They went after all of those idols. Building up on the high places, the Ashtoreth poles, even to the point of sacrificing their newborn babies to idols. Say, Brother Fred, that was way back then. That was horrible. And, and, and we're, we're a modern society today. We live in the, the iPad world. We, 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 don't, we, we don't do things like that. I don't guess you've ever seen the results of an abortion, have you? The altar of convenience is okay to snuff out a human life. We have our idols. And God is telling us, if you don't pull them down, I will. And there will be 
pain involved. I don't know about you, but I'd like to learn a lesson from the people in the book to where I don't have to learn the lesson in my own life. Does that make sense to y'all? Does that, that sound like it might be wisdom? Okay. Can we learn a lesson from the Scriptures and not have to tempt God to allow pain to come into our lives because we won't give up our idols? I want us to pray. After we pray, Ed's going to come and lead us in an invitation song. But I want to pray for God to open our eyes for us to be able to see through spirit eyes, is there anything in my life that I'm putting in your place, God? Let's ask Him that, okay? Holy Spirit, we want to surrender to You right now. We want to just lay absolutely bare and naked before You. Shine the light of Your brilliance upon us. Let us see. Is there anything, anyone, that we are putting in Your place in our lives? Is there anything or anyone that we're turning to for security or comfort instead of You? Is there anyone or anything that we would rather be involved with other than You. Shine Your light, Holy Spirit, into our hearts. Speak to us, Your people. We've been serving a tiny God. It's time to cast it down and serve the God who's worthy of all honor and glory and praise, and power, and dominion, and worship. Father, there may be some who want to just come to the altar and pray. Others may be praying right where they are. But Lord, this is a time for You to do revival in our hearts. Let it be so. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.